Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Jason Lee, journalist with the Deseret News, Lindsay Whitehurst, reporter with the Associated Press, and Matt Canham, managing editor of the Salt Lake Tribune. So glad to have you all with us today. I'll tell you, we're, many of us are celebrating the new year, but our politicians, we're still working hard. <laughs> Let's talk about one of the races that really is gonna dominate some of the discussion for this next year, the next governor for the state of Utah. Uh, governor Gary Herbert will not be running again. We'll talk about him in just a moment in terms of his legacy. But Matt, let's talk about the newest entrant. Right. All right, we have one more candidate that announced this week, probably one more next week. Let's, let's talk about it. So Thomas Wright, he's the former uh, chair of the Utah Republican Party. He's been whispering, angling, preparing, and he decided to announce on the day that you can start collecting signatures. And so he is now the latest entrant in the race. He is a party insider, so I thought he might just go through the convention route, but no, he is also going to collect the signatures to get on the primary ballot, and we'll see how he uh, changes his field. He is a pretty competent man. He's a real estate uh, um, he, exactly, I don't know the right word, he's an agent, but also runs his own company in Park City. Um, well known, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he impacts the dynamic and what lane he finds himself in. Uh, Lizzie, this is an interesting point right here too on the signatures too, because that was the first day, and if there were any candidates that have now so, announced so far that maybe had uh, an idea they might not get signatures, it was, might have been him. Does that mean every single one of these candidates is going to do both paths to get on the ballot? It certainly looks like it, you know, and it, it's an indication that this is kind of becoming um, a little bit more of the reality in, in Utah politics, despite some some lingering controversy over over that that law. It's it's becoming more and more of a of a thing that that people are doing. I don't think that means that um, that the convention, the delegates, uh, will be ignored by any means. I think that there'll certainly be a lot of discussion. There'll certainly be a lot of focus there too. But um, but yeah, there's more and more indication that that's that's a route that folks are doing. They're not going to leave themselves open to that. They're going to make sure they get on that ballot. The convention becomes the campaign stop right, instead right. of a way to get on the ballot. Right. Now you need 28,000 signatures. And what it also means is we're going to have a crowded primary ballot. Yeah, right, so, right. so Jason, the Republican Party just announced this last week that they will not retaliate against the candidates that get signatures. They're not going to kick them off right. as, as Republicans. Uh, who's coming next on the, on the list? I don't know that, okay, I... I don't want to sound like a naysayer because I, I, I don't feel like a, that kind of person. However, I don't know that it's going to matter much. And the reason I say that is because these people are, are coming late to the party, particularly when uh, Spencer Cox has been working so hard for so long. He already has some name recognition. And the idea that uh, John Hutchman is announced and we, uh, Greg Hughes still may announce, uh, there, there's these candidates right now that we're talking about. I have an uphill battle at the very least. So if they come any further into this uh, campaign, I think they're they're only making it more difficult for themselves. Even if they are able to uh, collect the signatures and get on the primary ballot, it it is going to be exceedingly difficult to gain traction and overcome uh, the obstacle they have right now, which is. Uh, 
Cox having such a large lead and uh, what is it, like 41 percent, uh, and then uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's like 11 points over uh, Huntsman. Try to get to the point where you are competitive with those people coming uh, uh, later than uh, than we are right now. It's going to be very difficult. He's really had it to himself for months here now, and um, of course, there's still a lot of time, right? We're only right. in the beginning of the year. They've still got still got time, but now there's a lot more competition than there was a few months ago. Well, there's so. not that much time if you think about it. We're talking November, right? So we're ten months, and you have to make hey, you have to make people know who you are, care about your message, and want to vote for you. Especially now that Huntsman has that built-in name right. recognition, right? Okay. So, Matt, let's talk about this because a lot of entrance actually plays to the strategy of some. So you talk about right. whether or not Thomas Wright, why he jumps in now. Talk about what that issue is. Maybe like a crowded field is a actual benefit. And it can be for this sort of second tier candidate. And I don't, I'm sure they won't like to be called that. But at the same time, we have seen Spencer Cox and John Huntsman with more name recognition. So you have a Thomas Wright, former party insider, uh, or current party insider, but former party chair. You have Greg Hughes, the former House Speaker, they need to come up with a brand that's different than a Cox or Huntsman. And if they can, and people split that vote in a primary, you can win with a little more than 20% even. To get a, to the final ballot, you mean? Right. right. And in this state, if you're the Republican on the final ballot, you're going to be governor. It's highly likely you're going to be governor. So essentially, if you're Greg Hughes and you're going to announce next Wednesday, which is the plan, he is the only unabashedly pro-Trump candidate in the field at that point. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't know if that stays that way, but it will be at the start. Mm -hmm. You have Spencer Cox, who has been very critical of our president. You have Huntsman, who worked for Trump, but has been moderate in how he responds to that. If you're Hughes, you lean into that. You go straight into the Trump people, and you try to gather enough of them that gets you over that primary ballot mark. Now, if you're right, you're going with, you know, leaning on those relationships, coming across as, an, you know, a reasonable conservative person who's focused on the issues in Utah, not all the flashy things around you, and you try to be that workhorse that gets across the finish line. Does that become a challenge in a wider Republican field, though, on the general election, right? Mm -hmm. Is if you if you lean into that pro-Trump, Trump's not not as popular in Utah as he is elsewhere. Certainly, a significant slice of, of the Republican electorate, especially. But but if you're doing that during the primary, does that become a little bit of a challenge when the the race gets a little bit wider? I don't know. And it can, but also you have the primary. I believe is in June. We see this in national politics, too. Like, the Democratic field now is way left. And whenever they pick their nominee, they are going to start surging to the middle. Mm -hmm. You can see that in the Republican politics here, where it goes pretty far conservative to try to get, or at least some candidates do. And then you can try to just moderate yourself a little bit before well, November. As you too, I mean, there's going to be this, you have to get a plurality. You don't have to get the, uh, right. It's because there are so many people, mm -hmm. and, and I guess to what you were describing uh, initially, you don't have to have as huge a uh, majority of the people, I mean, uh, of the votes. And since it's it's uh, it's a private entity, and we all get to participate to some degree, but really it comes down to it, it's the convention that really chooses the candidate. Mm -hmm. how, how do you think that uh, Greg Hughes changes it? Because all the credible sources, including his own people, are saying January 8th he's announcing. How does that change the, he, that field? He has, uh, talk about a party insider, right? So he, he has... He will have money. He'll have certainly have name recognition, and he'll have support from a lot of people in a lot of quarters in a, a conservative GOP party here in Utah. However, 
he still will have a pretty, uh, it'll be a tough contest between him and all the other candidates, but particularly against with Cox and Huntsman, who also have many of the same kind of attributes that he has. Mm -hmm. Before we leave this one, one of the interesting points here in these polling we talked about is these are largely Republicans. Some of these candidates are appealing to other parts of the spectrum, right? I mean, how does that play into the strategy? Lizzie, how, these other candidates are more centrist, maybe even center left. They can capture mm -hmm. some of those people. How do they approach this, this yeah. campaign? I've heard a lot of discussion about issues like like education, like clean air, some things that that some folks might might think of as possibly a more traditionally moderate or even democratic issue that, that they're getting a lot of discussion on the Republican side too. And I think that's what it, it becomes is, is let's talk about these issues that, that we, we, can, we can all discuss and we all are concerned about. And, but perhaps the solutions are a little bit different depending on, on what uh, political perspective you come from. Okay, uh, one more thing on these elected officials. So uh, Matt, uh, Mia Love back in yes. the paper. So saying maybe if the situation was right, she may be willing to take on Ben McAdams or maybe even a Senate spot. That's the first time I've heard her say that she's interested in a Senate spot. The one thing that Mia Love knows is how hard it is to win a seat, and the 4th District in particular. She ran three times. These are bruising races. She knows what kind of energy it takes, how much money it takes, uh, and that's why I think she doesn't do it. It's hard. It's so hard to put yourself out there over and over again and get battered. And she has a job with CNN where she gets to yeah. be a commentator like we get, are doing today. Mm -hmm. And that's her job. It's so much easier. It's, she gets to be a part of the fray without taking all of the incoming shots. So to leave that, to jump into a race, as uh, Jason pointed out, late in the game, where her opponent will already have a million and a half dollars, I think she doesn't do it at the end. Now, I will say this, if she did it, I think she has a chance to win. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, she is a very well-known candidate. She can raise money. Uh, she lost in a razor-thin margin when medical marijuana was on the ballot that attracted a lot of left-of-center votes that could have changed that election. I think she could definitely win that race, but I don't know if she's ready to actually do it. One challenge I think she might face is um, on a national level, it's tough to be a Republican who's not super pro-Trump these days. And, and of course, Mia has staked out her own position there, but she certainly disagreed with him on some key things. And of course, she made that concession speech that she didn't mince words in that concession yeah. speech. That's and right. so, that's right. yeah, so I think that, that that's one challenge she, she may have if she does decide to get in is, you know, the national level can be kind of a challenging spot for that sort of moderate-ish Republican And we know now. the president will not support her. No. So right. it, that, that ship has sailed. So. And particularly with the, the conservative uh, parts of the state, it is going to be very difficult for her, uh, in, even in her district, to gain those uh, the support of those voters who support the president 100% and realize that she's not really on his team. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to take one second, Lindsay, with some, some work that you've been doing and writing about, too. Uh, one of the, the reasons people don't jump into these races, and we, sometimes these candidates we like to have on the ballot, but they can't for family reasons. A couple laws impacting that that have, that have happened in the state of Utah, even nationally. Talk about some of your work on that with using campaign funds for child care. Right. Utah was actually one of the first states to pass a law saying you can use your campaign funds to pay for child care. And, um, and I think it's, it was a really interesting issue to me at the time. And so I kept kind of looking at it, seeing what some other states are doing. And we are seeing a lot more women run for office in the last few years. And so this has become an issue in a lot of states around the country. So far, there aren't a whole lot that have passed laws. There are some more that are going to consider it this year. And, um, and, and there are a few other states where a, a board has said an individual 
individual cases, yes, this is okay. But but the the law is a much more sweeping thing and makes it much more possible. And uh, and so I think that the Utah law it really shows it doesn't have to be a Democrat Republican kind of an issue. That that this is something we can all kind of talk about and discuss. So, mm -hmm. and now not not applying to women alone, of course. Yeah, of course, but, it's gender neutral law here in the state right, of Utah. Right, right, and most of these are, you know. But of course, women historically <coughs> have right. taken on a, a larger share of the the child care responsibility. So. It's very surprising to me that this has happened so late in our, you know, political uh, development. You can use your campaign money to buy a car. You can use your campaign money to buy clothes. The fact that you couldn't use campaign money to make sure that your kids were okay while you knocked on doors and attended a debate, I'm stunned that this hasn't happened already. I think it's a great thing, and hopefully it does make it easier for candidates to get out there. Being in politics is a hard business, uh, and as someone who covers politics, as we cover politics, I do have a lot of respect for people who put themselves out there. Mm -hmm. I do, I'm only a little surprised, and, and having talked to Lindsay and read her, uh, her uh, piece on it, that this has taken so long, but I, I think that now we're recognizing that more women want to be involved in the political process. And I think part of what you were talking about, the reason it hasn't happened before is because most of the time there's a bunch of guys doing this. And so they don't, they don't, it doesn't come across their radar. Now that we have this, maybe we'll have the opportunity to have more uh, really uh, great female candidates know that they have the support of their states and their state legislature so that they have fewer impediments to, for them to be able to run for office. Yeah, eliminating barriers where we can. That's, that's a real good one. Uh, let's talk about uh, an interesting barrier for our legislature right now, a referendum on right. tax reform. Wow, so Jason, <laughs> this is getting some momentum. Ta describe what's happened over the last two weeks with this with this effort. Well, I, I think my, my biggest concern is that we, we know that this is, it seems easy, but because our, uh, the way our, um, our legislature is kind of approaching this in a way that uh, they're gonna try to raise money because they're losing funds year after year after year because the ways that we uh, have been uh, getting revenues for our, fix our roads mm -hmm. to pay for schools and all, hasn't, uh, it has diminished. And so now our legislature is trying to figure out a way to uh, continue having a, the, the uh, we have a, um, a budget surplus now, we, we are very well managed, and they're trying to make sure this continues. However, I, I wonder if some of the choices they're making in uh, taxing uh, foods and, and things like that and services are going to be the kinds of things that hurt a segment of our population that probably are least able to afford it. Mm -hmm. And so in, in that way, I think the controversy becomes uh, Certainly, you, you want to have vision in how you raise uh, tax revenue, but do you want to do it to the detriment of a large segment of your population? Mm -hmm. And there are Republicans and Democrats, some of the uh, candidates for governor we just talked about, who are critical of what the legislature came up with, which is what's behind this referendum effort. There is signature gathering going on now. They have about a month to collect just a monumental amount of signatures spread out throughout our state. It's a very, very hard process, but there are a number of people behind it. We have not seen a grassroots effort succeed to collect these signatures. It usually takes an organized campaign and significant amounts of money. So this is a long shot bid to get on the ballot, but I guess it is possible. And there are lots of people who are out there collecting signatures to see if there's a way to put this before voters to pull back exactly what Jason talked about. I'm curious to see if it becomes an issue in the governor's race too. Of course, several candidates have said they're against it. All of them that had declared up until yesterday, right? right. And so, so it'll be interesting to see how it all kind of plays out because I haven't, I haven't necessarily heard a whole lot of, okay, I'm against it, but what, what, what are you gonna do about it? Are you right. gonna try to get the legislature to go back and make some changes and, and, and for candidates 
candidates who, who may have yet to declare, other people, what do they think about it? And is this going to be a thing? I think that's another way we may see it, see it play out, even if the referendum doesn't succeed, which it certainly could. It, it may also become an issue with whoever uh, ends up in that governor's seat, too. Yes. So we need 116,000 signatures, what this they need, the in the that's next 30 days. Uh, it is kind of, it's kind of a lot. Uh, but, but also, Lindsay, to your point you're, you're, you're making, this is not really just uh, an issue of political party, right? Uh, right. Kind of describe for us what's happening, what the ends of the spectrum, what people feel about this, and maybe a little bit as to why. Right. These are these are Republican uh, candidates for governor who who are, are questioning what, of course, the Republican-led uh, legislature has done. So so it's not just a a, a Democrat Republican kind of thing. And um, and I think when you say things like gasoline and food, people start that, especially on its face. Now there have been, of course, um, some some credits for lower income people to try to offset mm -hmm. that. Um, and and there are there are folks who say that's not the best solution. So there there have been attempts to try and offset that for for lower income people, but especially on its face, when you talk about gas and food, two of the biggest expenses on most people's households budget, household budgets, that, that starts to get, get people a little concerned. Well, what I worry about, too, is that, you know, we are in a situation right now where fiscally we're doing fine, and, and there's, there's enough money in our uh, coffers to be able to, at least for uh, the short term, we, we don't have to make these wholesale changes, particularly in the way that the legislature, without a lot of uh, public input, as far as I can tell, uh, this, this is a small group of people in our legislature kind of trying to work on a problem that they know is uh, approaching them and doing it in what they believe is fiscally responsible. However, because so many people have been pushing back, you would think that they would say to themselves, well, maybe we should consider other options as well, because we don't want to not necessarily uh, alienate, but burden uh, our, a segment of our population that really right now can't afford it. They literally cannot afford it. And if we were, we're trying to help all of uh, Utah, all Utahns, then we should come up with a solution that will be best managed for all of them, not just uh, you know, in, in a way that's going to raise this money and then uh, be to the detriment of so many people. Well, and of course, when Governor Herbert first started talking about this, he was proposing it as a tax on services that we, you know, our economy, you're not buying the lawnmower, you're buying the lawn mowing service. We don't tax that. We need to tax it. That list, of course, was trimmed down significantly in the course of the process. And so you wonder what, what services are still out there that we're not, we're not getting taxed on right. yet. This so. may be the reason why uh, several of you have alluded to this, even Republican candidates for governor. This is you were wondering about mm -hmm. this. Uh, you had Amy Winter Newton, you had uh, Jeff Birmingham, and even uh, Zachary Moses right. were there at the uh, at the press conference signing this this thing, which which makes makes me feel like we, we ought to show this graphic from Fred Cox, a former legislator who is leading this, which I just think is so interesting. Uh, he said uh, publicly, "This is not a Republican revolt. This is a Utah revolt." Right. Are you feeling that from the people you're talking to, Matt? Well, I do think there's a lot of criticism, and there's from another a number of reasons. One, we talked about the tax on food. There's a lot of people, uh, including some of the candidates for governor, who think that that hits people who are poor, and there's other ways to tax. Even when you do an income tax cut, which lots of people are okay with paying less uh, on their tax for their paycheck, that's money that's taken out of our education system, and the majority of Utahns feel that education needs more money, not less. So this is a really complicated system. There are structural problems in the budget that's worthy of looking at, but this is not a way where there's a lot of real happy people about the pieces of this. There's been some polling, the utahpolicy.com put out, that showed that um, throughout the political spectrum, everyone has a problem with this. If you're a state legislator, you're coming into session in a few weeks. You can tweak this. 
there will be debates about this. It'll, it, I don't know what's going to happen there if that if it has enough pressure to ch force a change, but it's possible. Okay, so, Lindsay, what happens if there is so that pressure comes? Maybe they get enough signatures and it starts going towards ballot. How does this impact the legislative session that starts in a couple weeks? Well, it was so much fun the first time around. Why not <laughs> give it another shot, right? No, it, it could very well dominate the conversation because it is complicated. And then, and of course, you have on one side, you know, more taxes on food and gas, not popular. On the other side, somebody's going to undo a tax cut? That that doesn't sound very popular either, right? People like tax cuts. So so you have you have political considerations on, on both sides of this issue. And then, of course, you have the other um, kind of special interests at the legislature who, who want to make sure that their industry doesn't get taxed, right. too. So so it, it gets really complicated, and it could end up dominating some conversation. Um, and now, of course, if, if things kind of fizzle out a little bit more or, or other, other issues sort of take over, this could go to the back burner, but but it's complicated and it's it's not an easy one. Yeah. I don't know that it, there's a, I mean, I can see it where just like last time it was marijuana, this time it, it seems going to be, uh, we're going to be dominated by this tax reform uh, proposal. If this is the thing that is the key, then hopefully there will be enough discussion from uh, enough uh, people and, and, and groups that the legislature is able to say to themselves, okay, this is what we came up with initially, but maybe if we do these tweaks, as uh, uh, Lindsay had said, then we can come up with something that is more palatable for the greater number of people, mm -hmm. which, generally speaking, that's kind of what uh, the legislature is there for, to come up with an idea, have it, uh, people uh, bring in their ideas, and then make some changes so that it's more palatable to more mm -hmm. people. Okay, we'll watch this one closely. I know we're going to hear about it a lot. Yes, we will. Uh, since we started a new year, I, I thought we'd take just a second and talk about some of our elected officials that are, some of them are in their last years, some are in their first years, some of the final days. Can we go through a couple of those? Sure. Let's talk about it. Let's start with Mitt Romney. One year in office. Lindsay? How's he done from what people you're talking to? <laughs> you know, of course, he came in with um, with a difficult path ahead of him, right? Especially when it came to the president and and the, the path that he laid out for himself, right? Saying, I'm going to criticize the president when I feel like it's appropriate and I'm going to support him when I feel like it's appropriate. And and there's not very many people who do that. And so, so on that score, he... I don't know that he pleased anybody on that score, except perhaps he felt like he was true to himself on it. Um, and I think that's the thing that gets most watched on a national level, for sure. The other thing he's been really active on lately is the vaping issue. Yeah, and right. it, and, it seemed, and the administration announced some big changes. For some folks, they don't go far enough, but, um, but they could perhaps keep some of these more kind of candy-flavored uh, things that really draw the younger people in. Yeah. Maybe they could keep it out of the hands because, because yeah, the, the vaping issue has really been one that's come to the forefront in a, in a big way. The other thing I was kind of interested to see him take on was the um, the NCAA, the college athlete yeah, right, issue. Right. And, yeah, and, and I don't know if there's been a lot of moves on that yet, but but that's going to be an interesting one to see uh, coming up, what, what, whether there's any changes there. I think part of the idea is that he is a capitalist, right? So he understands that it it doesn't make sense to some degree, uh, just talking about the, uh, the images and stuff from, uh, for college athletes, that everybody seems to be making money based on uh, this circumstance around the workforce that is kind of uh, stymied in what the benefits they can potentially have. And so I think as a businessman, he understands, and certainly as a politician with uh, his own image, he knows that he sees the hypocrisy and uh, just there's the uh, lack of fair play that is in, uh, in uh, that is happening for these chil children, these young men and women uh, who are uh, student athletes. And maybe he realizes that there's some change that needs to happen so that it's more fair to all of them. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, Matt, Lindsay and Jason both kind of alluded to this, this idea of who he's trying to please. Has he walked the, the line 
appropriately for Utahns, uh, at least as he starts looking at being elected one day, if he wants to do that? I think he, you know, I think this is the end of his political, this is the last chapter in his political career. And I think, as Lindsay referred to being true to himself, I think that's the most important thing to him at Romney at this point, is being an independent political figure and not be subject to whatever the party wants. And I think he's done that. Um, I also agree with Lindsay that he has not probably pleased anyone in doing that, but he has decided he wants to use his power on issues where he can have an influence, whether that's foreign policy when he's on the Foreign Relations Committee, college sports, vaping. There's lots of other issues where he can put his foot on the scale, um, but he will never get away from being a foil to the president. Okay. Uh, and I think that's what it will he'll be judged on going forward. Okay, one, one more elected official. So the end of the era of Jackie Biskupski, right. uh, at least as mayor of, of Salt Lake City. Uh, can, talk about that legacy, Lindsay. Of course, relatively short, one-term mayor, right? And um, and she she came in uh, with with some really interesting things about her, right? She's openly LGBT, and um, and there there were certainly some conflicts in her administration over the course of her tenure. Um, I, she also accomplished some things, I would say. I feel like the, some of the green uh, kind of mm -hmm. the green technology things that she was implementing, I think that's one of the, the bigger things that I might take away from, from what she did. But uh, the inland port became a really dominant thing towards the end of her tenure. And, um, and of course, just huge controversy over that. And so she, she gets to pass that on to the, to the next mayor now. <laughs> so we'll see. The homelessness issue was also big in her uh, in her mm -hmm. tenure, I mean, she, was, she some changes happened. We're going to see. It'll take some time before we know whether or not uh, the solutions she uh, she was able to kind of manage will uh, be beneficial to our community. But you know, she she when you're the first of something, you're going to be judged on the uh, the accomplishments you were able to attain. But and some of those things uh, the the I don't know failure is the word I'm looking for. But the things that you weren't able to do that you might have hoped. And in her case, she had some controversies. She was successful in some ways. She fell short on some other ones. I don't know uh, in, in the future that she has paved uh, a way for the next person to come along necessarily. But I, there's, there's part of me that uh, says that she did pretty well, but more uh, in the C range than maybe the B or A range. Okay, Matt. She's a fighter and she's a planner and she did a whole bunch of both. And I think over time, I think she'll be remembered as a mayor who set us on a path to see our city grow, to um, be more environmentally conscious, um, but she will be remembered also from having a lot of frayed relationships. Okay, it's gonna be the last word on that. Great insight today. Thank you so much for your comments. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.